Welcome to the fourth week of our Advent Conspiracy and the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is almost here, and we are getting our hearts and our lives ready for the birth of our King. We're going to do that with Scripture reading now as we read from Luke's Gospel. We're going to read Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Welcome to Timberlake. My name is Pastor Brad, and it's a joy to be with you this morning as we encounter the story once more. We are talking about how to celebrate Christmas differently, how to be a little more faithful to God and to the story in which we find ourselves, and to reach back into the gospel to find meaning and to find uh, transcendence and to find authenticity and to find life, all because 2,000 years ago in a stable full of animals that do what animals do, like uh, sleep and eat, and that thing they do after they eat. <clears throat> the Savior was born in that place. Our Savior was born. And so every year this time, we get ourselves ready to celebrate, right? And, and we decorate our houses, and we sing songs, and that's all good because we're getting ready for Christmas. But Advent is not just about Christmas. Advent means coming. It's also about the coming of our King. Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? We believe in the second coming. So we live in this between time. Jesus came once as the baby in a manger, and he's coming again as the King in glory. And so Advent is the time for us to get ready. And this is our conspiracy, to worship fully to spend less, to give more, and today our focus is to love all, to love everyone in this world. Of course, that's what Christmas is about, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so on Christmas, we celebrate that God loves us, God loves the whole world through this gift of Jesus Christ. And having been loved, we are then called to love other people. The Bible puts it pretty plainly in 1 John chapter 4. It says this, we love because he first loved us. Say that with me. We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. He not only loved us first, he loved us best through the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So love is great, right? And love makes you feel all warm and fuzzy. But let's be honest. We use the word love in a lot of different ways, a lot of different applications, right? A lot of different circumstances. Think about that for a second, all the different ways we use the word love. So we say, I love you. I love the Redskins. <laughs> Woo, yeah. A few sort of uh, half-hearted, I don't know if I want to admit it in public, right? <laughs> I just love it when Uncle Frank tells the same jokes every Christmas. I would love it if you would be quiet for four minutes. Right? We, we use the word love so many different ways. Last week, we talked a lot about children. I, I think it would be helpful if we could hear from some children. A group of kids were asked, what is love? And their responses are just perfect. I want you to, to be able to see these and hear these. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. 
Love is when daddy is smelly and sweaty, and mommy still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. (laughs) When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's like a philosopher kid there. Wow, that's deep. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. This is my favorite one. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. That's pretty good, right? Yeah, I think, I think the kids get it. I think they're onto something because their words remind us that true love is unconditional and it is relational, and it puts the needs of the other ahead of ourselves. This is why Christmas matters so much, my friends, because at Christmas we get to experience love with skin on. We get to experience God with skin on. Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation. Everybody say incarnation. Incarnation Incarnation simply means in the flesh. And so Christmas time is a celebration of this radical, bold idea that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is Almighty God in the form of a person come to be near us. This is God in the flesh. He is love in the flesh, love with skin on. And so Christmas time is a time for us to celebrate that, that this is why Jesus came to earth. We needed him, and that's how much he loved us. And not just us, right, but everyone in this world. And especially, and this is where we come to the point of the message, especially he loves the poor. Jesus loves the poor. If you read the Gospels, you see over and over again in his ministry, Jesus goes out of his way to find and to bless the least people in his community, the sick and the weak and people who are widowed and children Jesus loves the poor most of all. He set out a vision for his ministry. Jesus gave a sermon right after he was tempted in the desert, and he laid out a vision for his ministry in Luke chapter 4, and he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So you see, friends, Jesus not only brings good news to the poor, he is good news for the poor. He is the embodiment of the love of God for the least of these. You see, Jesus gave up the glory and the comfort of his throne in heaven in order to be born into a sin-scarred world. That's how much God loves us. And this is the paradox of Christmas right? That that the most powerful, almighty God of the universe lowers himself to become one of us. That, That the most powerful, almighty God of the universe takes on human flesh and comes into the poverty of our lives and of this world to be born in the lowest circumstances. And the result of Jesus becoming poor is that we get to be rich, with the grace of God. That is the paradox of Christmas, that Jesus gave up everything so that we could have everything in his name. 
The author, Scott Bessenecker, suggests that the very first statement that Jesus ever voiced about his concern for the poor before he ever preached a sermon was when he cried out as one of the least of these. Here is the Son of God, eyes shut tight, mouth open wide, wailing and kicking. It was one of the most profound acts of solidarity with the poor that Jesus could make. You see, friends, when God voted with his birth, God voted for the poor. Now, when we say poor, what do we mean? Do we mean the economically poor or do we mean the spiritually poor? When we say God loves the poor, what do you think? It's both, isn't it? It's both. So God loves those people in this community, the men and women and children who will go to bed hungry tonight because they don't have enough to eat. God loves them deeply. And the people in this community who are brokenhearted, who are depressed or anxious or far away from God or lost in sin, and they are spiritually impoverished, God loves them so very much. And when we get ministry right, we will understand that we also then are called to love all of the poor, economically poor, spiritually poor, otherwise. Now, notice every congregation has their favorite, right? Every congregation has their favorite ministry, their favorite mission, and some churches say, oh, we want to take care of these bodies. We're going to feed people. We're going to give them medical care. You know, we're going to, we're going to hire lawyers to protect them when they have an immigration lawsuit. They take care of the material, and they're, they're proud of it, and that's good and right. But other churches say, oh, no, we care for the, the spiritually impoverished. We care about the soul. And here's the thing about that dichotomy. The gospel of Jesus makes no exclusions. Right? The gospel of Jesus says God loves all of the poor, spiritually poor, economically poor, and everyone in between. The theologian Gustavo Gutierrez said that God has a preferential option for the poor. God has a preferential option for the poor. You see, it's not that God loves everybody else less. It's just that God loves most the people who need it most. And if I asked you this morning, I bet you could stand up and give a witness, give a testimony about a time in your life when you needed God's love the most and God poured it out into your life, undeserved though it was. God loves us the most when we need it the most. You see, God takes this personally because we are God's creation and God loves us. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. In other words, if you mistreat the poor, you may as well be mistreating God Almighty. Right? These are fighting words, right? I mean, I know you don't think that's in the scripture, but, but there it is. You know, God's like the big sister, and when the bully comes to pick on the little sister, the big sister steps up and says, hey, you want to mess with her? You mess with me. And God is like this protective big sister who covers us with his wonderful love and says, you know, whatever you do to the poor, it's like you're doing it to me. Now, what I love about this Bible verse is it doesn't stop with this threat. There's also actually a promise that comes after it. And so the rest of it says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whatever we do for people in need, it's as if we are doing it for Almighty God. And you say, oh, isn't that kind of a stretch, you know? No, friends, not at all. We're, we're, we're hardly overstating it. Do you remember what Jesus said about the least of these? He said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. 
or whatever you fail to do <laughs> for the least of these, you fail to do it for me. You see, Jesus takes this personally. Jesus takes this stuff personally. And of course, it makes sense because Jesus enters our human story in poverty. And so Jesus is born to an unwed teenage girl, and his father is a simple carpenter, and the first witnesses of his birth were shepherds. Now, I don't know how much you all know historically about that time, but shepherds were not exactly in the highest rung of the social ladder, my friends. The shepherds were way down here. That was kind of the lowest class that you could be. And when this child emerges from his mother's womb, it's in a stable surrounded by animals who, who do the things that animals do. And he was wrapped in bands of cloth. And historians say probably the bands of cloth were like strips torn from Mary and Joseph's undergarments. That's probably all they had. And uh, when he was born, he was laid in a manger, which sounds sweet and nice, right? And we craft these wonderful wood boxes, but it was a feed trough, right? It was a feed trough full of cow spit and wet hay. And the Savior of the world was laid there. Jesus entered our human story in poverty. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. So here's the deal, friends. If we want to be with Jesus, and I hope we do, if we want to be with Jesus, we have to be willing to be with the poor. We have to be willing to go into the dark and deserted and forgotten and impoverished places of this world because that's where Jesus lives. That's where Jesus lives. Now, when we hear this, how we hear it depends on who we are and where we are sitting at this time in our lives. And so if you and I are sitting with the people in power, with the people who have control in this world, if we are sitting with the wealthy, with the rich, then this sounds like, gosh, I'm not sure I want to hear that because that's pretty convicting. That's pretty confrontational. But if we are sitting with the impoverished people of this community and we hear this news, we say, man, that's the greatest good news of all time. You're telling me there's help on the way? You're telling me God became just like us? Wow, that is awesome. Jesus is coming, and he's coming to deliver us. He's coming to save us. You see, the rich and the powerful, they tremble when Jesus shows up, but the poor rejoice. The poor rejoice. This is the awesome nature of the gospel. You see, the same story, it comforts the afflicted, and it also afflicts the comfortable. Did you know that? The same gospel story that comforts the afflicted, it afflicts the comfortable. And sometimes, friends, we are afflicted and we need to be comforted. And sometimes we are comfortable and we need to be afflicted. So when Jesus comes back, this is the question. Where will he find us? Where will Jesus find us when he comes back? Remember, Advent is about the, not only the first coming of Jesus, but about his second coming. And so Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to come back uh, as to separate people one from another. The Son of Man, it says in Matthew 25, is going to come back and separate people one from another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And when that day comes, this is a picture of judgment, friends. We don't like to talk about this a lot, but this is the truth. Jesus is our judge, and he is coming back to judge us. And we will be judged based on our lives. And we will stand before him, and we will give an account of what we have done and what we have failed to do. And I wonder 
where Jesus will find us on that day. Wouldn't you like on that day, as you stand before the judge and trying to keep your knees from shaking, wouldn't you like to have a child from Puerto Rico standing next to you on that day who would speak up for us and say, Lord, have mercy on him because when a hurricane came and knocked down my house and flooded my church, these people came to help me. Wouldn't you like to have a child standing next to you on that day as a witness? I would. I would. Brothers and sisters, part of my job as the lead pastor of this church is to name reality, to say things the way, not only the way we love them to be, but the way they really are right now. And so I promise always to tell you the truth. I promise to tell you when I think we are doing well. I promise to tell you when I think we are falling short. Uh, And and this is the truth. I, I don't want you to get a big head, but this is the truth. I have never been a part of a church who is as generous as Timberlake United Methodist. I've never been a part of a church that is so hungry to serve their neighbors as this community right right here. And so I'm thankful to God for you that we have asked not what's in this for me, but what can I do to bless someone else in the name of Jesus? I sense a hunger in this place. I don't know if you sense it. Uh, Pastor Matt said this morning, he said, I can feel it. I said, that's the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. When you move in this place and you engage one another and we sing together and we pray together and we worship God in spirit and in truth, something is happening in this place. God is doing a new thing in our midst, my friends. You see, here's the thing that drives me crazy. God wants to do a new thing in every church, but some folks in some churches just say, no, thanks. (laughs) We're good. We're just comfortable just the way we are. We don't want to change. We don't want to grow. We don't want to worry about anybody else. But there is a spirit here of generosity and selflessness where the men and women and children of this church have said, God, have your way with us. Do whatever you want. Let us be your servants and not the other way around. And God, if you would only just point us in the right direction, we'd be willing to bless some people in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about, my friends. That's what Christmas is all about. And I'm so proud to be part of a church where we're not only for the poor, we are with them. And we are learning to love them the way God loves them, with skin on, with food for the belly as well as food for the soul, with gratitude to God who when we were poor, he showed up into our lives so that we could have the riches of heaven on earth, so that we could share with other people what we ourselves have first received. Let God's people say amen.